This uh, verse up there really is appropriate for Labor Day weekend. It, it, uh, it becomes ex especially appropriate at least once a year. Although it's one of my favorite sections of, uh, of Scripture and, and a worthy promise for us uh, all to claim. Well, a few months ago, uh, the Supreme Court of the United States decided to reinterpret uh, what God's intention was uh, regarding marriage. Uh, marriage was God's idea. He made man male and female. He performed uh, the first wedding in placing Adam and Eve together, and the Supreme Court, in a split decision five to four, decided uh, to redefine marriage as far as America is concerned. And many of us uh, who disagree with the decision wondered, well, what do I do about it? Well, interestingly, uh, there is a county clerk in Rowan County, Kentucky, named Kim Davis. Uh, her mother was county clerk for 37 years before her. She's now been county clerk for 27 years. Uh, she is elected as a Democrat to her position. And so uh, she can't be fired, she's elected. Uh, she has recently, four years ago, become a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, she has realized uh, how her life of sin uh, is in complete contradiction uh, to her newfound grace in her Lord Jesus Christ. And so she thought, since marriage licenses in the state of Kentucky have to be solemnized by her uh, with her signature and her authority that she just wouldn't issue any marriage licenses to anyone anymore since the government decided to redefine marriage. Well, that wasn't acceptable to some of the people in her county, even though she said if you want a marriage license, go to a different county. They wanted to come to her and demand that she issue to them a marriage license. Uh, she said, I will not. They said, by whose authority? And interestingly, she said, by God's authority. And they said, but the Supreme Court, the highest court in the nation, has declared we have the right to get a marriage license, and she said, but God says no. Uh, a, high, uh, a federal court held her in contempt, and she has been in jail all weekend saying that she will not comply, she will not resign, and this is her fundamental right to freely exercise her religion. Now, what got me all worked up about this is my friends from seminary, the ones I went through seminary with, are on Facebook arguing with each other as to what she should do. And one of my best friends called her an anarchist, seems like a very strong word, and demanded that she resign or do her job. I, on the other hand, am somewhat sympathetic with her choice to stand up for what she believes in and to say, I'm not discriminating, I'm just not issuing any marriage license. Is, if that's what you want to make a marriage license to be, this county won't issue any with my name and my authority behind it. And so 
the judge is saying, you're going to languish in jail until you repent. And it makes me wonder when we as Christians should engage in civil disobedience, when it's appropriate for us to disobey the authorities that God has placed over us. Uh, there, there are some interesting discussions uh, in the scripture regarding this. Uh, there is one point in which Jesus' disciples got all excited about the thought that if Christ is going to set up a kingdom, maybe we should just stop paying taxes to these Romans who oppress us. And so they practically begged him, can we stop paying taxes now? And he said, do you have a coin? And they said, yes, hold it up. Whose image is on that coin. And they said, Caesar. And masterfully, Jesus said, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar, unto God that which is God's. You see, Jesus himself, when he was tested by Pilate, wondering if he was a threat to Caesar, would he overthrow Caesar? He kept on saying, are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? Thinking, do you plan insurrection? It was Judas Iscariot that was planning insurrection. It was Judas Iscariot who gave up on Jesus when he realized he wasn't going to overthrow Rome and he wasn't going to establish his kingdom because his people had not received him spiritually as king. And so Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Implying you don't have anything to worry about. It won't be until later when Israel repents that I return and set up a political, physical, literal kingdom here on earth. You may remember uh, the scripture teaches slaves to obey their masters. You would think, but slavery is so immoral. Surely Christianity should stop out slavery. And yet, so as not to interfere with the spread of the gospel, there was not an attempt to politicize Christianity in the first century, but to actually be submissive to the authorities over them. Uh, Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 2.2, prayers and entreaties should be made for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So uh, the question comes to us, what if you were county clerk? What if you have to decide what you're going to do about this issue morally as to what is right and what is wrong? At what point do you obey the governing authorities over you? And at what point do you say, I'm sorry, folks, I can't obey you. There are probably a couple of policemen in this room, so I'll be very careful how I word this. <clears throat> but this morning, as we opened the section in Acts, uh, we saw that Peter and John uh, were hauled before the religious authorities, not the political authorities, the religious authorities who actually did govern day-to-day -day life among the Jews at the permission of the Romans because they were obstinate people. And they were commanded with great authority, having spent all weekend in jail, they were commanded, stop talking about Jesus. 
Stop talking about the resurrection. And frankly, Peter and John said, there's a problem here because you're asking us to deny something we know to be true. We are witnesses, actual witnesses. We were there. We saw him. We spent three years with him. He predicted what would happen, and it happened just as he said. How could we possibly keep quiet about this? And yet they commanded them not to speak again the name of Jesus or his resurrection. Now, as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ and the evils that the world uh, is going to insist upon in persecuting Christians, as we see it will be like just before Christ returns in the tribulation period, uh, we wonder, at what point will I remain submissive to government authorities? At what point should I say, no, I will not follow you? And I suggested in this morning's message that the choice comes from the leading of the Holy Spirit, that the teaching given to them was, don't plan ahead, don't have a canned speech, don't be afraid, do what I've asked you to do, go into all the world and make disciples, tell people the gospel. And I tell you, they will persecute you, they will beat you up, and they will throw you in jail. But I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit will empower you and make you courageous, and the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. So consequently, what we've learned so far is the Spirit would have us lean on Him for guidance as to how to respond to authorities telling us you're not allowed to do what Jesus has commanded us to do. And with that introduction, I invite you to open again to Acts chapter 4, and we'll pick up uh, where we left off. We were through Acts chapter 4, verse 22, where they were commanded not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And they left glorifying God for what had happened, praising God for the miracle that he'd worked through them, uh, that a lame man is now walking and is praising God. When they got back together with the rest of the disciples, the story picks up in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. When they'd been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord and said, and before I read what they said, let me just tell you what I would have said in that situation. I would have come back with my tail between my legs. I would have been saying, can you believe what just happened to us? Why, it was terrible. Why they locked us in prison. Why they threatened us with our lives. This is the most terrible thing possible. How are we possibly going to go on with any sense of bravery to tell people about Jesus Christ if they're going to treat us so badly? But instead, listen to what they say. They're glorifying God. They're lifting their voices to God with one accord, and they quote the Old Testament scriptures. They say, O oh Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. 
they actually go to a passage in the Old Testament where it speaks about how God actually controls how we're provided for. Let me read from uh, this passage in Psalms. Who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. That's Psalm 146. In their minds is not, we nearly got ourselves killed. In their minds is, God, you made everything. You made the heaven and the earth. You are in control. You provide for us and you protect us. Our trust is in you. That's exactly where our hearts and our attitudes ought to be. Where we say, God, you made this world. You know this world. You know these opponents of ours. And yet my trust is holy in you. Furthermore, verse 25 says, By the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servants said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. This is quoting Psalm 2. And what he's saying is it was predicted all the way back in the Psalms that it would actually go this way, that people would take their stands against Jesus Christ. So why are we surprised? We shouldn't be shocked. It's happening exactly as was predicted a long, long time ago that the Christ would not be accepted by the nations. And then listen to how they respond. Verse 27, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. In other words, it happened much worse for Jesus than it happened to us just a little bit ago. And we're now missionaries for Jesus, ambassadors for Jesus, representatives of Jesus' gospel. And look what you allowed to happen to your son. If you allowed it to happen this way to your son according to your most glorious plan, surely we would, would not expect it to happen much different to us. If they're that opposed to Jesus, won't they hate us as well? But then they lift up the actual problem of these threats against them in verse 29. This prayer is beautiful. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. And I would have then said, and stop them from threatening us. But no, that's not what they say. Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. That they would have peace, 
that they would have calm, that they would have bravery to speak the truth in spite of these threats. So they didn't even pray for the threats to be taken away because they have just acknowledged through the quotations of Scripture that these threats are expected and prophesied. So why would they ask God to take away something he's prophesied? Instead, they say, strengthen us. Take note of their threats, but give us confidence while you extend your hand to heal and the signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus, as you just did with this lame man, how graciously and kindly you gave him back the ability to walk. And when they prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. I mean, the room shook as if God was answering back to their prayer. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. They clearly recognized that God had heard their prayer and they immediately, by the empowerment of the Spirit, felt God's confidence that they were doing the right thing. So how do we know if we're making the right decision in this choice of civil disobedience? How does Kim Davis know she's doing the right thing? Perhaps something like this in which she's receiving confirmation from God himself, you're doing what I want you to do. You're drawing attention to this problem. Drop down to chapter 5. Verse 17, chapter 5, verse 17. The people uh, were uh, excited about the preaching of Peter and John and the others. They held them in the highest esteem, and they were becoming increasingly popular to the point that the religious leaders were jealous. Chapter 5, verse 17. But the high priest rose up, along with all his associates, that is, the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. If that's true, you're not expecting them to act rationally. You're not expecting them to act fairly. You're expecting them to act through their jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. We'll stop them from continuing to preach, and we'll stop them from being so popular. Verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison, and taking them out, he said, go, stand, and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. So this is actually rather humorous. In one sense, their opponents are getting the upper hand by seizing them and placing them in jail. On the other hand, God himself sends an angel to release them from prison and say, get right back out there and keep preaching right there in the portico of Solomon. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. So they're obeying what God has asked them to do. Now, when the high priest and his associates came, they called the council together, even all the senate of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. You can tell this is going to be rather humorous. But the officers who came did not find them in the prison, and they returned and reported back saying, well, uh, we uh, 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 found the prison house locked quite securely, and, and, and the guards were standing there at the door. But when we opened the doors, we found no one inside. <laughs> 
I just love the sense of humor that God has us to question ourselves when people say, you can't do that. Increasingly, I believe our nation will come down on Christians and restrict us from being able to do what we want to do. At the university where I work, for example, they're greatly concerned as to hiring practices or firing practices. Right now, we're under the protection of religious exemption, but how long do you think that will last? We're already being forced by the government to offer abortions paid for by our insurance. We're suing the government to stop them from doing this, but you can see the problem. We receive federal financial aid on behalf of our students. Do you think that will continue very long? We receive accreditation. Do you think that will continue very long? Or do you think they'll put the screws on every form of Christian organization? Do you think they'll say, these properties that are owned by churches that don't pay any taxes, is that fair that they don't pay taxes? You can easily see that the government may increasingly make our life difficult. But listen to Peter's response. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. And as young as Kim is in the faith, when they said, by whose authority will you not issue these licenses, her answer was, by God's authority. And that played on every news channel all around the country in which someone stood up and said, by God's authority, I will not issue these licenses. Very res interesting response. We must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you had put to death by hanging him on the cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and as a savior to grant repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. You killed God's son. You killed the prince, the savior. You did it. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Wow. When they quote the Holy Spirit, they're implying that the words that they are saying are being given to them by the Holy Spirit. So often we say to ourselves, well, I can't stand up for anything because I don't know what I would say. I don't know what I would do. Do you see what's being taught to us here? This is exactly as Jesus predicted as he taught in the Olivet Discourse. He said, these things will happen to you, but don't plan in ahead. Let the Holy Spirit give you the leading. Let the Holy Spirit give you the words. We're witnesses, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Well, when the council heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. So is it possible that you could say something and get yourself killed for it? The answer is absolutely. That's exactly what they were planning to do. They're going to kill people like this. And a little later in Acts, you'll hear Stephen preaching, and you'll see Stephen stoned right in front of everybody, even though... 
supposedly they had argued that they couldn't execute Jesus themselves because they didn't have the right of capital punishment. And that's true. Rome had told them, you're not allowed to execute anybody. But they didn't really even care. And they went ahead and just stoned Stephen right then and there because of his preaching. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, the most important of all the rabbis, the most famous, most respected of the rabbis, the rabbi under who Saul had studied, the Saul who eventually became the Apostle Paul, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And then he said to the men, men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him, but he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them or else you may even be found fighting against God. Isn't it amazing that Gamaliel asks them to wait and see what God would show through the actions of these men? And he says, you don't want to be fighting against God. You need to be careful here. After all, Think about it. How is it that that lame man is walking now? We'll all agree that Peter and James, or Peter and John, could not have done that. That's God. You need to be careful not to be fighting against God. Well, they took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them. Flogging is beating them with whips. It might have even been the 39 lashes, which nearly kills the person. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. Remember, they'd gone from, we're going to kill you, to, well, we'll merely beat you and command you again. Stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And how did they respond? They went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. That, my friends, is civil disobedience. But they had decided we would rather obey God than man. You can't stop us from preaching the gospel. When I was a teenager and coming to grips with my faith and wrestling within myself the degree to which I would release control of my life to God, 
I became very interested in people who had become martyrs for God. And I read some of the stories of the famous martyrs. And I came across a more modern story written by Richard Wormbrand called Tortured for Christ and read his book uh, with great interest and uh, signed up for his newsletter and read it as it was sent to me about Christians who were standing up for their faith under tremendous persecution. Uh, he came and spoke at a church in Upland when I was 16 years of age. And since I lived in Upland, I just had to go a few blocks over and I heard him speak in person. It's an interesting thing to meet someone who's actually been tortured and jailed for his faith and will not stop telling others of Jesus Christ. It causes you to be brave. It causes you to say, yes, that would be my choice as well. I will speak up for Jesus Christ, and you can't command me to be quiet. It's important for us, as we wrestle with the scripture and wrestle with current events, to ask ourselves, what would I do in a similar situation? What choice will I make? How do I stand up for Jesus Christ? It's important also for us as we're seeking to win people to Christ to be winsome about the approach and how we convey the gospel to them. Uh, to have a sweet savor to the gospel that's attractive. You remember that God says his kindness actually draws us to repentance. If God offers his kindness to us in the offer of the gospel, should we not also be kind and gentle in the way in which we convey the gospel to others? And yet we should not be those who cower or fear or who are silenced by those who threaten us, but we should be the people who are willing to stand up for what is right, to speak of what is right, uh, and to convey truth to others, led by the Holy Spirit, guided by him as to when to stand and when uh, to be quiet, uh, but to never be silenced in communicating the gospel to others. It is our responsibility as witnesses of what God has done in our lives to speak up the truth. Would you pray with me to that end? Father, we come before you humbled by the story that we have just read, a story in which the apostles were willing to risk their lives, risk their comfort, uh, risk everything in order to be faithful witnesses of you. And these would be some of the same people who ran for their lives when Jesus was arrested, protecting themselves, spent all weekend cowering in an upper room for fear that someone would find them. And yet, when your son presented himself as alive, when he gave us the spirit to indwell us, we have been empowered to be brave and consistent in our witness. Therefore, on the basis of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the fact that he is sitting at the Father's right hand, the fact that the Holy Spirit is indwelling each of us personally. I pray that you would help us to be courageous to speak to those we know 
the faith that we have found in you and to testify of the changes even in our own lives so that we will be ambassadors for you, properly representing you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.